Hello everyone to another From the Clubhouse podcast. I think this is our third this week at the Open, so we're, we're, we're punching above our weight. Somebody on Twitter noted that we'd been missing for a while and said that our podcasts were like buses and that they come, they don't come <laughs> once, they come plenty at a time. There's probably some truth in that. But here we are again in the Open Media Centre. Uh, as we record this, it's Tuesday. It is absolutely bucketing down with rain, so there are quite a lot of journalists in here today. No one's been going out. So I've been able to call on some favours and bring in some journalistic royalty from across the pond. We've got Sean Zach from Golf.com. Welcome, Sean. That is way too generous of an intro. Journalistic royalty. Well, we read your stuff over here. It's very, very good. It's very good. And if you haven't um, read it yet, you can catch everything that Sean and the rest of his team are doing at Golf.com on their website. It's some fantastic stuff, some really in-depth um, things that you wouldn't think about about Hoylake and you're really sort of getting behind the scenes of it this week aren't you? Yeah we've got a big team we've got five of us here four writers and one kind of videographer and that kind of helps us really extend our our limbs out into every corner of the golf course uh, we'll be in and out of the clubhouse kind of covering everything you can which it becomes a lot of things like you just said you've written more this week than any other week uh, in terms of like pre-tournament stuff and it's only Tuesday afternoon. It, it's already busy. I feel like we're going to peak too soon. Oh yeah. And by Sunday we're all going to be splattered across the media centre. Um, obviously you're a veteran of major championships and covering major championships. I mean, how, how does this one compare? I've done a couple of US Opens, I've done a PGA Championship. Does, it, does this one feel bigger? I suppose they'd like to think of here that it is bigger. Yeah, it, I mean it's definitely going to be big. It's kind of hard to tell just how big because like if you take the other opens for example st andrews is the singular town that everyone is in the entire town is buzzing but this golf course is directly between two two st andrews uh sizable towns and so i don't really know what's going on in west kirby because i'm in hoylake uh but i can just tell from the people that are walking to the golf course that this is a classic classic open uh i mean it's amazing how many people were out at this golf course on monday as it's raining i'm like gosh you don't get that in the states when i went to the pga championship last year this would be the southern hills telsa pga it was 4 p.m on on monday and like no one was really out walking uh the, the golf course it just felt like okay we're easing our way into this thing it feels like by the time we get to the open in the uh the english or scottish summer People are thirsty for like the best golfers in the world. They're very hungry to see it, so that's why they come out in droves, and I imagine we'll see it throughout the weekend. Yeah, they're always popular in the Northwest. The Liverpool crowd really get behind it. I, I was struck, now that you mentioned that, yesterday, first day, I think it's about half past four, how many people were following Rory McIlroy and, and, and Harrington, obviously Shane Larry. Now you expect that trio to have a crowd. They're mm -hmm. sort of um, icons over here, but, but a Monday, half a dozen deep it's rory man it's the mental. rory juice and he only injected it more by beating everyone at the scottish open the way he did it uh that was the most macho of golf i've seen from him in quite a while mm -hmm. uh you know it it feels like i keep i keep looking back because this location pulls us back to 2014 he had extremely macho golf the week before winning at Hoylake, and that was beating Sergio at the WGC Bridgestone. This is nine years ago. Sergio was a different golfer, but Rory was was considerably, uh, well, a different golfer, but at the peak of his powers. And he went out on Sunday and dominated. And that felt like just a, a callback to that 
just a few days ago and so it you know we've we've trotted out the can rory do it storylines once again but it it feels obvious at this point like he should do it feel it felt obvious last year and he damn near did do it um but he did it for like 68 holes last year and not 72. yeah yeah um you've been on something of a golfing odyssey over the past months which is why we were really keen to have a chat with you because you've uh, you've been here for a month mm -hmm. um, and you've been to some of our best courses really um, in the UK so let, let's start because your journey um, well, let, well let's start right at the beginning why did you decide to come over for quite so long I mean it's quite a long way away from home it is a long way from home uh, my parents would tell you it's really long way from home but um, I think that I mean this part of the world for any golfer is a special place and it is very easy to do as a lot of Americans do, which is I've got five days. I'm taking one week off of work and I'm playing 36 holes a day. I'm hiring a private driver and getting as much golf as possible in, as many golf holes as I possibly can play. And that's great. You can have a ton of great experiences with the people that you fly across the pond with, but it's such a blitz that you have a hard time to kind of like smelling the roses and like appreciating your surroundings. You have a hard time meeting locals and and actually, you know, kind of interacting with them. You're just going from clubhouse to golf course to hotel to clubhouse to golf course. And so um, if your job would allow you to, I would endorse anyone to come here for two weeks, three weeks. You don't have to do the full month or as I did last summer, three months. Um, it is, you know, the remote working culture that has increased in the last three years allows you to work east coast hours from let's say noon until 7 p.m or something like that and you can play a lot of golf in your mornings and so i've kind of just dived into that and played a bunch of courses on this side of the country last year played a bunch of courses in fife east lothian uh, i got down to london this year and played uh, a couple courses down in that area and it's just kind of trying to appreciate why golf was born here, why golf is better here. Um, you know, things for me to remember when I go home and it's the month of April in Chicago and it's rainy and wet and soggy and it's not as great. And I know you guys are at that point really loving the firm conditions over here. So it's really just basking in, in the way that uh, you guys have done golf right and sustained it for centuries and um, yeah, just things that I can hold on to when, when it's not so great back home. So I'll, I'll quiz you about Hoy Lake at some point because your journey started here. You mm -hmm. came to Hoy Lake first and now obviously it's yeah. all but ending here with, <laughs> with, the, with the Open Championship. But I, I just want you to give listeners, a, if you could, a, a, a sense of the breadth of golf that you've played because you've been all over the place over yeah. the last four, four weeks. Just tell us some of the tracks that yeah, you've been so, playing. Yeah, um, so I went from Los Angeles Country Club on a red eye to Chicago and then a day later I took a red eye to Manchester and I went right from Manchester Airport here to Hoylake. Um, I don't really remember that round because I had like such little sleep but um, I do remember at that point the the greens were slow but they were being kept slow because we don't really know what the weather's going to do to this golf course. And, um, so I played Hoylake, a couple days later I played Royal Birkdale which I think is shot up my personal ranking list. Uh, I think 
I mean, I have not played Sunningdale, but I, I feel like it's tough to get a better golf course in this country than Royal Birkdale. Uh, a couple days after that, I was able to play Southport and Ainsdale, which I know is, is you know, all of maybe a thousand yards from Royal Birkdale. It's up and down this train line. I did a little bit of a video on the train line of Merseyside that you can just rip golf course yeah. after golf course after golf course. Last night I played uh, West Lancashire Golf Club, which in the wind with the rough grown up is an absolute treat, but a, a brute it's as well. A beast. Yeah, it's a and real it, beast. it really slapped me around. Um, I met you in the middle of the yeah. country at All Woodley, which was my first time playing a Heathland golf course, which, look, the, the Lynx courses are probably always going to get uh, preferential treatment for the visiting American. Mm. And with good reason. They might be a little bit more scenic because it's the water and it's the sunset, but a proper Heathland course is just as firm and almost gives you more imagination because you have more to look at, more things to shot shape around, uh, just different landforms and tree forms and everything. So all Woodley was fantastic and we got to we had to play with a, a great third that day who just really understood the, the golf course and the, the Alistair McKenzie history. So there's that. Then I played another Heathland course um, down in London called West Hill, one of the three W's down there as I understand it. Um, and so that might be the next pocket. I might just have to do London for like a full month next year because I know there's a lot in that area that needs to be tapped into. Um, and then I would say like one of my best experiences this summer was going and playing this little pitch and putt course on the east side of London. Uh, it's called the Dagenham Pitch and Putt. And that is a, a style of golf that I just kind of, I hope the British, Scottish, the, the UK golfer appreciates the, the idea of pitch and putt because pitch and putt barely exists in the United States. We have par three golf courses, which will include anything from 60 yards to 215 yards. Just a true golf course that's only par threes. And then we have mini golf, which a lot of you guys call crazy golf. And then in between, there is very few pitch and putts. The true pitch and putt, which is holes that are 30 yards to 90 yards. It's written in the, in, in the book, the rule book of pitch and putt. Um, and I went out there for a Sunday medal match and I just found these locals in Dagenham that love it. They just, they go out there every single Sunday and the owner is someone who loves golf and loves that, I guess, beginner style of golf. Takes care of the golf course. He's 67 years old. He's had multiple hernias from dragging hoses around the property. But it just, like, that is growing the game. We talk about growing the game constantly. That is a place where the game can grow. It can, it can sprout roots um, and so it's lovely to kind of see golf in its biggest form literally an open championship host and then golf in one of its smallest forms over here pitch and putt and a lot of things in between kind of get the, the full spectrum and um, we don't quite have that as much in the states so I love it. Yeah, as you said, we did play together at Old Woodley with um, an Old Woodley member, Jonathan Taylor, who I know listens to this podcast, so I'm going to big him up for, yes. for a second because he put together quite incredible round when we played to him. I think he was three under at the turn, but he did the most amazing thing I've ever seen anybody <laughs> do on a golf course, which is he chipped in from about 94 yards on the first for an eagle 
and he didn't even watch the ball go in the hole. <laughs> he was, he's a former chairman of Greens. I think he's still on the Greens committee and yeah. he was repairing a divot as the we ball. We shouldn't have told him it went in. <laughs> you and I were both watching. We were both kind of like raising our hand like, look, that might go. And then he was down fixing his divot and I was just like, are you kidding me? Is this your welcome as a member of All Woodley? This is how you tell us that, oh, it's going to be a match today, boys. Absolutely was, but the point I'm, I'm getting to by kind of giving JT some publicity, I'm sure he'll love me for that. Um, was it as much about the people that you met along the way in this journey as it was about the golf courses that you've played? I think so, only because just people here have been so welcoming. And I don't know if it's because like I have American written across my forehead or, or what have you but they are so welcoming and so interested in sharing their place. That has been my experience both this summer and last summer is golfers here really want to share their place with the visitor. And it's, it, I mean, it's built into the tee time booking uh, formula and structure, which we don't have at private clubs in the United States. <clears throat> the United States kind of golf works on a bit of a broken financial system where uh, you keep people out, you have big thorny gates that tell people like, no, stay away unless you are a, obviously a guest of, of a member. You guys over here want people to visit your golf club. Um, yes, there is a, there's often a, a bigger fee if you are visiting without it being a guest of a member. And that helps make it cheaper annual memberships for the members, but man, it is, I never felt more welcome at a private club than I do in this part of the world. I think that just says a lot about um, this kind of being where golf was born and bred. It's like, no, this is a community thing. Um, I don't know. It's, it's kind of almost hard to put into words like examples of generosity because they're everywhere. Like, it, like the generosity that I, I have earned or, or the welcome that I have felt at like Carnoustie is just as welcome as I felt at All Woodley, which is just as welcome as I felt um, at Royal Birkdale when I didn't even visit with anyone in particular. I played Royal Birkdale alone, which was weird to play a, a truly fantastic course alone without a buddy. Um, but they greeted me at the door and I basically had a private tour of the clubhouse with one of the, the uh, starters and they went out of their way to make me feel welcome, which if you equate that to the Royal Birkdale of the United States, let's say like Medina in Chicago, near where I live, you're not gonna, you're, they will not roll out the red carpet for you quite like they did for me here. And that really stands out to Americans and that's just the way it needs to be. Yeah, I think it's something that um, we need to appreciate in the UK and that we're lucky. There are, there are some issues of affordability. Um, some of the top 100 courses are getting expensive mm -hmm. but at least we can play them we have the opportunity to play them and the, and the point that you make I don't know whether it's um, a stereotype or not but the feeling over this side of the Atlantic is that there are a lot of very very good courses in the United States that are just off limits yeah to, how do to you plan a trip how, like if you were to plan a trip to to play the best golf courses in England I understand that Sunningdale can be rather exclusive maybe that's the Pine Valley of the United States but if you want to, you could essentially, as I understand it, pick off just about all the other ones that you want to in this country. And I mean, 
you compare that to the states, it's like you're really like scanning down the list. Okay, which ones are public? Okay, which ones might have me? Which ones do I need to get a little bit in touch ahead of time? It's uh, it's just a different game. I think it's too bad. So you started at Hoylake. I mean, what do you make of Royal Liverpool? What do you make of the course? Because you've seen it as mm -hmm. it is now with everything and everything you know going on. Funny? But you saw it a month ago and the stands were up, but it was essentially a yeah, very different I also beast. saw it a year ago. Um, I saw it in August of 22 for the first time and it looked a lot different. It is much greener uh, than it was then. It was very baked out, very fast. I think it will still be firm and, and pretty fast this week. But it's green because they've got a lot of rain in this area and they decided to not quite bake it out. So with that in mind, you have to anticipate scoring being pretty good. Um, but it's a it's hard to not look at what Rory did here in 14 as like a bit of a warning sign because he shot 16 under that week and the ball has only gotten longer since then. Modern equipment has only pushed it a little bit further. Uh, like St. Andrews, I think it will need a little bit of wind to defend against players this week. I think it's going to get some wind. I think we're going to get some rain. So the conditions will, will play a factor more than maybe the past few opens have been. But I really like it. I think, um, I think for the fan, it's a better golf course than St. Andrews because there is a lot more room in between golf holes. If you are a visitor for an open at St. Andrews, you are on the outskirts entirely. You're either on one side of the course or the other, and the players are in between. It creates this interesting arena. Well, out here, you're gonna be mingling between almost every single golf hole. There's a lot of more space in the middle of the golf course, which makes it great for viewing. Um, yeah, I, I think it's. Uh, I think we're gonna get some wind, and I think it'll be a good championship for those reasons. Do you think that the, the more green nature of the golf course. I mean, I th all su all summer, all spring, we've we've been expecting this place to play like a dusty 2006 yes, and Tiger. Totally. And then obviously we've had a lot of rain. Conditions have really greened up over the last few weeks. Um, it's a different golf course to what we'd expect. Much more in that 2014 range, mm -hmm. I think that you were talking about. Do you think that's going to help the American challenge? I don't want to be generic mm. about American golf, but it does feel like. I think that's a good point. And frankly. If we were to, you know, last week aside, what Rory has done to become one of the best players in the world is to play off in an Americanized version of this game. Uh, he's gotten better as a win player, as we saw on Sunday. He's gotten better at um, a lot of the aspects that dominate Lynx golf. But I, I think you're right. I think finding fairways might be a little bit easier, whereas an opens past, you will blow through the fairway. Uh, it really all depends because you can have a soft golf course, but if the wind is up, gosh, you need to, you need to be a Tommy Fleetwood-esque ball striker. Um, and not everyone is that, you're just not. So like, I, I still don't think that like a bombing affair will, will play out out here. Brooks Kepka was asked that today and you know, what kind of player will play well? And he doesn't think that overall length will win you this tournament, um, which is how, it, uh, we don't want that. You know, this is a, this is Lynx golf. We want it to be precise. We want it to ask questions on the ground, not necessarily in the air. So, um, yeah, I'm trying to think of like the player that, it, that that might suit if it's a little bit greener and softer, but probably some Americans might fare a little bit better. Like, I just don't think that like, like, like if you think about Bryson DeChambeau, right? A guy who 
plays the ball through the air most often. Yeah, he might hold a couple more fairways, but does that make him a better win player? No, it doesn't. So it's still all number of factors over here. Yeah, I, I think, um, I mean, you'd be surprised if Scotty Scheffler wasn't in the mix. He's in the mix every week, isn't he? He played pretty well at Renaissance last week. It's um, insane. Probably just left it a bit too late for a charge. I like two particularly at sort of quite big prices. Um, one of whom is Taylor Gooch. I think he's underrated. And he's, he's about 80 to 1 over. Well, this is a massive week for him because he has won three live golf events this year. He is flirting with the edge of what people would think would be Ryder Cup expectations. And this will be the last event that he will play against people that would be playing in the Ryder Cup. And he has not fared well in the majors this year. And so if he were to finish in the top 10, it would definitely merit a conversation. If he were to finish in the top five, I think the, the conversation would blow up in a, in a big way at that point. You don't have, he doesn't have to win. I don't want to put those, those kind of like ridiculous expectations on it, but I would say him and then in, in the same vein, Dustin Johnson probably, someone who could be considered with a good finish out here for the Ryder Cup. But yeah, Taylor Gooch, uh, he's got it working right now, but you know, this is gonna be a very different golf course than the ones he's played like Live Centurion or, or anywhere else, it's it's not quite the same. No, no, the, well, speaking of that, my other sort of big out there price, um, who's never played here, um, was Denny McCarthy, he's mm. just enormous. He's like 150 to one, you think he's lost a memorial playoff to Victor Hovland, seventh and sixth, his last two starts. It, I'm gonna take a chance at that kind Sure, of he's the best putter in the world, um, and, just needs to be a great ball striker to kind of get himself onto all these greens and let that putter go to work. Uh, you know, the person I've been thinking about is, this is a bit kitschy, but he's at about 250 to one would be Ewan Ferguson, who's been playing well, Scottish boy, uh, contended for a second uh, at the Scottish, played well the week before then, and has obviously got great history here, winning the boys amateur a decade ago. Um, so. That could be a real long shot, and if they're the, the odds are so long, right? Just maybe put a top twenty bet on them, and then you'll pay out that way. When, when we look to the American Challenge, then are we looking at the usual suspects on a golf course like this? You know, is it is it too far to stray away from Brooks and Bryson and you know, Scotty and so on? My coworker Dylan DeCherry has pointed this out in a bit of our research, but if you look at the two thousand six and 2014 leaderboards, the top 10, almost uh, to a person, each of those top 10s mimicked the like top 10 strokes gained approach, like annual standings. So if Jim Furyk finished really high on those leaderboards, mm -hmm. he also finished really high that year in strokes gained approach. Adam Scott, Tiger Woods, Rory McIlroy, the true best irons players in the world played their best at Hoylake, I think that is, there's at least enough proof that a really, really solid iron player, a Kala Morikawa, who's been kind of lurking all year long, he would probably fare quite well. Adam Scott, another player, Fleetwood playing really good golf, amazing irons player. I don't think it's an American thing as much as like a, the guys who really control the, the irons in their hand that are gonna fare well out here. Right, we're going to talk about your book in a minute and, and, and talk a little bit about what you did in St Andrews last year. But just, just coming back to this trip, I'm going to put you on the spot for a couple of questions. Okay. So, um, favorite course over the last month? Burkdale, no doubt. Yeah. It's weird that I played it alone, so I didn't 
have someone to say, oh my gosh, look at this tee shot, oh my gosh, this green complex is incredible. But it, uh, playing alone really makes you uh, just focus on your surroundings, right? You put your phone in your bag, dive into the golf course, no one's going to distract you. You have a lot of alone time on the tee box because you're probably playing slower than you intend to. And you can just dive into the surroundings and man, I can't wait to get back there for the Open in 26 because that's a special property. And uh, yeah, I can see why for our, for Golf Magazine's top 100 courses, I think it's 14th in the UK and Ireland and best links course in England, second best course in England, according to us. But I, I haven't gotten down to Sunnydale, so Birkdale's number one for me. Yeah, fantastic. Um, Nice link as well, because Burtdale just announced this week, wasn't mm -hmm. it, or late last week, as the um, as the venue for 2026. Um, best hole that you played? I'm gonna, that, that's Ooh. a difficult one. Uh, that is a difficult one, but I think my answer is what I played yesterday. Um, I think it's the 14th at West Lancashire. It is... Uh, whatever is a dogleg right that it reintroduces you to the train tracks. With the wall? With the wall on the left. Um, there are trees on the right. And if you want to, you can hit driver up over the trees, which my coworker Dylan did, but it's really hard to figure out what the line is. And he overcooked his draw just a little bit. And uh, I played a hybrid out into the middle of the fairway. Super fun green complex. Um, another coworker kind of hit a little cut driver. Any hole that introduces uh, obstructions that are not in your way, but they could be in your way, depending on what you hit, is a hole that does it for me. I think it's the number one handicap index hole out on that, that golf course. With the train on the left, it's zipping by you. It's just a super cool scenery, uh, and there's so many ways to make four there, and numerous ways to make seven and so for my money i really like that, that I've, golf. I've done both uh, in, my, in, in the times that i've played i mean uh, it is a sensational hole and that green complex is very underrated i mean that is hard to hit and it yes. is hard to hold yeah i did not hit it i hit a from the fairway uh got a little too crazy and chunked a wedge but uh ended up making a comfy five and that'll make me happy at the end of the day um course that surprised you um, hmm. Dunbar. I played Dunbar. I have not mentioned that yet, but I went to the Scottish Open last week. And I, you know, last summer I didn't get to all the East Lothian courses. I pretty much hit everything in Fife. And Dunbar is, uh, it's a little bit more out of the way, right? It's about 20 minutes from North Berwick, which kind of feels like it's at the end of East Lothian. Uh, but if you put the, the time in to get down there, I mean, it feels like you are within 200 yards of the coast at every single golf shot you take. Mm -hmm. And it typically plays downwind on the front nine and back into the wind on the back nine. And so you can get lulled into a sense of comfort and you can get a lot of driver to wedges on the way out and then it's driver to five iron on the way in. And so, oh man. That feels like a golf course that you want to play with the sun going down, um, and it definitely surprised me. I think maybe because I didn't do a lot of research going into it, I didn't quite know what to expect, and sometimes that's the best way to do it. If you know a course is solid, maybe don't do all your research going into it, and let it surprise you based on what you find when you get out there. Yeah. Uh, best pint? What's your best beer? Mm. You know what? 
I had a Guinness with two of my coworkers. I know this is a bit cliche, but it was at uh, the Cavern Club in downtown Liverpool, home of where the Beatles grew up. And uh, we went there for those exact reasons, the tourist American visiting where the Beatles uh, took off. But man, what a lovely place to, to just sit there and take in live music. I think it was a five, five pound cover which like I'm not big on paying an entry fee to get into places but we walked in and they played like four songs that are like the Beatles classics and I know again that that's cliche but it felt like holy cow we're almost kind of like a part of music history right here and so it's not a golf course pint but um, you know I was thinking about this with my coworkers. I think this part of the this pocket of golf courses doesn't get as much attention as the Fife pocket or fly into London you do the Heathland pocket or even go east of London you go down to St. Ports or East Lothian like if you had to rank it from an American's point of priority you're probably not coming here first or second maybe you come here on your third trip or something like that but if you want a certain type of golf trip that incorporates other things you can do a uh, a golf plus music kind of history golf trip. You can do a golf plus football golf trip. Go to Manchester, Man City, Everton, Liverpool. You can, I mean, you can really kind of create this cross pollination of interests and check them off both within the same week. Liverpool might be the best place that you can actually do that. Yeah, I actually saw um, Everton's new ground yesterday. I know you're an Everton fan. Oh, Bramley Moor. I actually passed it. It's, I mean, it's just, it's it's a shell at the moment. The cranes are all up. Yeah. It looks, it looks, it looks like they're short on money, which, the, you know, they just might be, which <laughs> I don't love to think about as a, as a Toffee fan. But, um, you know, trust in the process. Trust that we'll figure it out over the course of the 2024. Um, I mean, speaking about iconic places, obviously you spent three months in the most iconic place in <laughs> yeah. golf last year in St Andrews, which I mean must have just been an incredible experience. It, it is my favourite place on the planet, uh, be, and not just because of the golf, because the whole town itself mm -hmm. just lives and breathes the sport, and it's a, it feels that it's all it feels to me like an amazing space place to go and spend a few days. So to spend three months there, I mean, just tell me about that experience. You know, thinking back on it, what was so cool is that it became home, right? You go there for three for any anywhere for three months it's going to become home but the aspects of it that became normal for me diving into the best bookstores uh in in town the best coffee shops in town kind of having my own little nook within this coffee shop called taste um and making it very normal to just go to the back of the 18th green and watch amateurs walk up and and you know i i noticed it the first day that is a place where, uh, you know, you finish a round of 18 and you shake hands. When you and I played together, we shook hands, right? But when you finish 18 at the old course, people blow right past the handshake and they dive in for hugs, <laughs> which I think was just a very telling, uh, just visual to me. It was like, no, this place is such sacred ground that any visitor who gets to play it is just feeling romantic. They're feeling more emotional about the game. And not every uh, sacred golf course can pull that off. Very few can, the old course being one of them. Um, yeah, I got to play the old course four times that summer, which felt like the perfect number. I played it twice before the Open, twice after the Open. Um, 
each time, except for the last, I played with strangers, which is a treat, right? You get to see them kind of work their way mm -hmm. through their emotions, and um, you get to embrace it together. Uh, yeah, it was it was fantastic. I feel like I know that town really, really, really well enough to obviously, like I said, write a book about the summer. Um, but yeah, what it does, it, I would encourage people who want to go to Fife again to to instead of diving into the 36 holes a day private uh, you know driver for hire that is taking you place to place to place, rent your own car and or just use the local taxi service and take taxis use st andrews as your hub rather than rip up to the highlands or go down to east lothian use st andrews as your hub take the 20 minute drive to anstruther take the 20 minute drive to ely and crail take the uh 20 minute drive to scotts craig or the 45 minute drive to carnoustie if you have to get in a train and get up to cruden bay get on a train and, and do it that way because um Every night you come home to St. Andrews and the pubs are there waiting for you and who are in the pubs but just golfers. It's just golf heaven and everyone's experiencing it at the same time. So you find community, you find other golfers who want to talk to you about the birdies you made and the triple bogeys you made as well. T tell me about your book then, when's it going to be published? How yeah, can we it, eventually get hold of it? Sure, it should really be readable um, in March which is not too far from now. It's probably eight months from now. Um, I probably have one more month of work that I need to do on it. Uh, it's being edited at the moment, but it, it, it taps into the summer of 2022. It taps into kind of what I was looking for going to St. Andrews, but also how hectic that summer was in the world of professional golf. It's the summer that Live Golf launched. It includes scenes from the first Live Golf event in London, and then the, the crescendo of being there in town for the 150th, being there for Camp Smith beating Rory, what it was like in town that week, being there uh, at Muirfield for the first women's open ever at, at Muirfield and what that was like, because that didn't get it maybe as much press as it, as it probably deserved, but um, it was one of the best finishes of the year with the four hole playoff and Ashley Buhai winning. And so um, it includes trips to North Berwick. It's just kind of like, if you want to do it, you know, probably not going to do it for three months like I did it, but these are all the things that you can do and maybe should do if, if you want to make your week to 10 day trip to St. Andrews and Fife. Yeah, and, and another odyssey uh, about to come to an end this weekend <laughs> yeah. on Sunday. I mean, how excited are you for the, oh, for the week here? It's funny. It, I, I try not to get too excited because it's such a long week. These weeks can be marathons for members of the media when you spend 12 hours in, in this, you know, enclosed space trying to follow 156 different stories. but. Um, what I like most about the Open at this point, it is, it is the last chance for a number of players to get really happy <laughs> at the end of the year. Scotty Scheffler is playing Tiger Woods-esque golf this year, and he does not have a major championship. If he wins this week, it immediately becomes one of the best seasons of all time. If he doesn't, it has this asterisk on it where it's like, hey, you played great but you didn't win one of the four that really matter. You won the Players' Championship, great. Super happy for you. It's not gonna go down as one of the, the 10 to 15 best of all time. So he's one of those guys. Um, obviously Rory, you know. It feels like people are either in Rory's camp or out of Rory's camp. There's no in between. You either think it's gonna get it done eventually or people are starting to think, will it ever happen again? Um, 
that exists for so many people in the field, and uh, this is the last chance. Look, we have the Ryder Cup looming in September. This is the last chance for a ton of Ryder Cup points. Um, but these guys are all individuals. They're all greedy, they're all selfish, and they need to be to be the best players in the world. So they're thinking about themselves first and foremost, and a lot of people will leave this week more sad than happy. And I think that's kind of a fun juxtaposition to follow as, as members of the media. Yeah, though they are the stories that uh, make this championship so compelling, they are the stories that keep us coming back as well. So have a great week, Sean. Thank you, this you week. too. Um, thanks for joining us on the From the Clubhouse podcast and look forward to seeing more of your work in the future. You got it.